how you walk, how you walk on water. One foot yeah, in front of the you? other. Never gonna let you go under. Just put one foot in front of the other. I've got a faith deeper than feeling. Cause I know a name that's greater than the storm. I got a God who never ever fails me. He's close enough to catch me if I fall. I know I can make it, cause it was your voice that I heard. So I'm stepping out, I'm stepping out on your word. This is how you walk, how you walk on water, one foot in front of the other. Never gonna let you go under Just put one foot in front of the other This is how you walk, how you walk on water One foot in front of the other Never gonna let you go under Just put one foot in front of the other This is how you walk, how you walk on water One foot in front of the other Never gonna let you go under Just put one foot in front of the other I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. 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 everybody. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Kathy Connor and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors at First Pres, which to me is such a high honor and a huge joy as well. I totally recognize that some of you may have come in here this morning just worn out from the past week. And we want you to know that we are praying that in this hour you'll come away refreshed. And if you've come in here discouraged, we pray that you're encouraged. But we want you to hear this promise from God. It's so personal that if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. Worship in this next hour with that expectation of his nearness. He's as near as your breath. He's with you now. And he wants to speak into your life. If you're new to First Pres, we're so glad you're here. And we invite you to let us know how we can serve you, how we might care for you. One of the key ways that we can do that is if you fill out a Connect card. You can fill out the one in the pews. You can scan the one you see on the wall. It will take you directly to the card. Or you can go to our website after worship. But this allows us to connect back with you so that we can pray for you, serve you, and care for you in any way that you might need it. What we're on fire about here is real relationships, doing life together, because we believe that when that happens, real transformation happens. And that's my heart for you and for me, even in this hour. 
that somehow the Lord nudges us towards more transformation in our hearts and in our souls. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here, invited by you, the King, because you want to speak into our lives. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to set aside anything that has been weighing heavily on us so that we might respond back to you in greater trust, greater dependence, because we need you, Lord. We need you in the ways that we are keenly aware, but we also need you in ways that are beyond our imagination, for only you know what this day is bringing. And we ask, oh God, that you would fill us up in such a way that we have something to give our family members and our friends and our neighbors that we leave here different because we encountered you. Lord, we are asking also that you would bless and care for our friends who are hurting, who are lonely, who are grieving, Father, and who are sick. We pray over James Canali. We ask that you would continue to bless him, Lord, as he goes through chemotherapy and all the therapies needed to bring his body to the fullness of health. We are trusting in you, the great physician, as we continue to pray for Jackie Faircloth. We ask that you would speak into her heart, Lord, that she would know without a shadow of a doubt that you are near and that you are at work in her life, Father. Encourage her family as well. We thank you for the good news that you brought to us of the birth of Thomas Warnicke, born to Lauren and Stephen Warnicke, Father, this week. New life reminds us that you are ever creating in love all that we need and more. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. So this is the perfect moment to jump up and say hi to the people around you. And for those of you online, if you would greet the people online just in that chat line, have at it. first one. Raise a hallelujah.
here at 412 Zach Street celebrating everything that God has done in this place as we prepare to move to our new home on Horatio Street. We want to collect pictures, we want to celebrate everything that God has done, and our friend Sally Glisten is going to be putting together a slideshow. So her email is sallyglisten at gmail.com. Send her your baby's baptism pictures. Send your first communion pictures. Send your wedding pictures. We want to have it all so that we can celebrate together. The next thing I want to let you know is that last week we announced the VBS theme, Faithful Frontier. Our kids are so excited. And Billy Sue, she does not want you to break her achy, breaky heart. 
because she needs volunteers. And so once again, let's see what Billy Sue has to say. needs, excuse me, Billy Sue, needs 25 volunteers, and I'm happy to report that number is down to 17, so we need 17 more volunteers, and I just wanted to speak as not a staff member, as a mom, so I am volunteering for VBS this year, and that is when I first started. Before I was even in this role on staff at First Pres, I volunteered at VBS as a mom, because for a week, I get to experience Jesus with my kids. And I would just especially encourage adults in this room, if you've got a kid or if you've got a grandkid or a niece or a, a nephew, to sign up because it creates natural conversations in the car on the way home about Jesus, singing the VBS songs together, sitting around the dinner table. So it maybe, and maybe you're like, well, I've got a little itty bitty at home that I've got to take care of. Get a babysitter for one morning so you could do it one time. Rachel says you can volunteer one day, you can volunteer five days. You will not regret it, and it will create life transformation in your home. So I would really recommend it. And then the last thing that I wanted to tell you all about is that next Sunday is Father's Day. Shout out to all the dads. We are going to be celebrating dads with free Kona ice here at church. So bring your dad and grab a Kona ice on us next Sunday. You won't want to miss it. We can't wait to honor our dads in that way. 
I also just wanted to, um, in this moment, we always just kind of pause and we take a moment to think about all that God has given us. And I don't know if you're like me, but a lot of times I feel myself holding on tight to my things, holding on tight to my time, holding on tight to my schedule, and I look like this, controlling everything in my life. And it's tense and it's stressful. But see, God encourages us to let go of our time, to let go of our schedule, to let go of our money, because it's in that that we find freedom. It's in the reverse of what the world tells us that we find abundant life. And that is why God gives us the gift of generosity. We get to give and we get to find freedom in that. So here are five ways that you can give to First Pres and find freedom in that. Thanks. Let's go ahead and stand on back up. Thing. 
some songs that you sing, and just kind of stick with you. This song is called Here Again. And I love this song. It's about God's presence. We're just going to enter his presence right now together. So let's sing this. It's called Here Again.
Well, you know me, and you know that I absolutely love, love, love adventure. Some of you were really scared the last time I preached, and I'm not letting up. Because I will tell you, from the very first moment when I took the first teenagers to Tanzania, Africa, for a mission trip, new adventure, we put new batteries in, I need a new plan if anyone can help me. So there we are in Tanzania, Africa for the first time. I have all these teenagers and adults. We're so excited. We're with Young Life. And at the airport, when you turn left, you go to Arusha. That's where our service project was. But if you look right, there's Moshi. And where there's Moshi, there's Mount Kilimanjaro. And ever since I took that trip, I had my heart set on climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. We have a picture of it for you right here. Sometimes it's called the shy mountain because you can't always see it because of cloud cover. But on that first trip, not only could we see it, we were flying by it. It was higher than we were. Well, we decided to do this climb as a family in our extended family. So at the end of one of my mission trips, we stayed in Arusha, Tanzania and got ready for this eight-day climb. And I want you to see us on day one. We're so excited. We had no idea, okay? No idea. See, the smiles are just big. And I want you to understand that we also had porters, a whole team of porters carrying up, to, and you'll see that in the next picture, they're carrying up to 40 pounds of food, water, tents, supplies, all kinds of things that we would need while we carried backpacks with more water and more supplies during the trip. So as we're going along, you know, we're just thinking this is great because we started out in rainforest. You can kind of tell. Well, not yet. It's back one. We're in this rainforest setting. It's warm and it's lush and it's beautiful. And soon we would discover something very cold and icy, a hailstorm, and the landscape turns from lush rainforest into something that looks more like Mars. But we're still excited, y'all, because look at the next picture. Fitz is dancing with the porters, and I'm taking pictures of it like we're on holiday. This is just all so great. You know, as we keep hiking, though, you know, we see more and more of the mountain. You'll see that in the next picture. You know, it's starting to get a little big at 19,341 feet. These are our pictures. 
And then, you know, we're still, we're still excited. And then we get to the next picture. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It really took our breath away, quite honestly. And we had this guide. You can leave this picture here. We had this lead guide. His name was Gideon. And Gideon kept the pace. But it made us crazy because we were just ready to go up that mountain. Fitz had been doing a ton of marathons all year long. I had actually done a half marathon. Everybody in the group was in really good condition. So we were like, you know, we don't, we don't like this pace. But Gideon kept holding us back and saying, pole, pole, slowly, slowly is what that means in Swahili, okay? Well, friends, I think he kept saying it to us, hoping it would sink in. And I just want to see if it's going to sink in with you any more than it did with us. So I'm going to get you to say it after me, okay? I'm going to say pole, pole, and I want you to say it, all right? Pole, pole. See, it's not going to sink in if you don't do the hand motions. That's, it's not even going to work or take, all right? Pole, pole. Yeah, he kept repeating it, but the thing is, Gideon had to make us actually do it, not just say it. So I got to tell you, I want you to experience how excruciatingly slow pole pole is. So I'm going to get you to stand up in the pews right where you are. Oh, yeah. Stand right up. Some of you aren't standing. Vince, thank you. Okay. Now I'm going to get you to face east because we all know Africa is east of us. And that's where Mount Kilimanjaro is. But you have to watch me, of course, to watch my pole pole pace, right? You ready? I want you to go at the same pace as me. Raise your hand if you're miserable yet. Because guess what you have to do? Go 19,341 feet at pole pole pace. You can have a seat. I'm not going to make you do it unless you want to climb the mountain with me again. Oh, yeah. But pole pole, slowly, slowly. We heard it a million times with the, you know, because we'd kind of hustle forward. He'd go pole pole. And we'd go, oh, pole pole. We're rolling our eyes. But pole pole, slowly, slowly, is very intentional. Because you walk slowly up the mountain, because as you increase in elevation, your oxygen decreases and your body has to acclimate. Otherwise, you get either a debilitating headache and altitude sickness, or worse yet, what is known as pulmonary or brain edema, which can be fatal. So we started to listen the more we learned. Bottom line, on Mount Kilimanjaro, you have to go pole pole, slowly, slowly, in order to go onward at that pace so that you can go upward and summit on the top of the mountain. That's the only way it's going to happen. But we would soon learn that as we got to higher altitudes, there would be times when going like this was too fast and too hard. And all we could do was put one foot 
in front of the other. It's really painful when you feel like God has you at this pace, isn't it? Especially when things are difficult or uncertain. And we start wondering, God, why aren't you moving this thing along faster? It feels like we're going nowhere. This is our life sometimes. We go onward and we go forward with God, but it feels so painfully slow, painfully pole poly. And we think we want God to quicken up the pace and get through this thing, but this is how God is preparing us for what he has prepared for us in his kingdom. So when things are going oh so slow, and God is taking us onward through it slowly. You know what he's doing? Y'all, he's building our muscle. He's building our resilience. He's building our strength. He's building new faith in us. He's building a new sense of dependence on him. That's what he's doing at that pace so that he can then take us upward into a bigger story for our life than we could ever have imagined, all of it intended to bless you and bless the world through you. So he takes us onward so that he can take us upward. Well, a man named Joseph is about to learn that lesson the hard way. And it's a tough lesson, and it's a true lesson, but I think he's the perfect person to lead us through, to give us a picture of what it means to go onward and upward with God. And it comes to us from Genesis, chapter 37. And we're going to start reading this together. I'm just going to tell you, though, right now, Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham. That's his great-granddad, Abraham to whom God had given the promise that he would bless Abraham, <clears throat> bless his family, and every generation of his family forward, also so that he could bless the world through his family. And so Joseph is a part of that inherited blessing. And yet, I'm going to warn you, this story of Joseph's life sounds like anything but a blessing, much less a life that is moving onward and upward with God. It's actually a tough read. So Jacob, Joseph's father, settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. That usually doesn't go well. <laughs> nope. But he's the youngest. He doesn't get it. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day... Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. What I want you to understand about this robe 
is that any robe that is created that goes all the way to the ankles and all the way to the wrists and is ornately designed is only for managers. So we're already getting set up to see that this may not go well between Joseph and his brothers if the baby of the family is being set up as the manager of everything going on. It says, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. This is not going to go well. His brothers responded, so you think you're going to be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again, he told his brothers about it. You'd think he'd learn the first time. Listen, I've had another dream. Can you see their eyes rolling? He said, the sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time, he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dream meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. And when they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for, he asked. Well, I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. I'm kind of wondering if they're hiding from him. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him. They've moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan, and he found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. I don't like this story at all. I, I've never liked it. But that's good. Because I'm reacting to the story. Whenever we read scripture... God doesn't want us to read a story in the Bible and go, well, there, that's a Bible story, you know. No. He wants a reaction from us. He wants to know what we're thinking when we read it. He wants to know if it encouraged us, if it comforted us, if it stirred our feathers, if it made us think about something we don't want to think about, if it challenged us. Oh, in this story challenges me 
It certainly does. I feel uncomfortable every time I read this story, and I've read it several times in the last couple of weeks, because it makes me recall with vividness times in my life when I have felt dismissed and rejected. Because this story is full of resentment, dismissal, hate, cruelty, and more. And when I think about those times in my life at the hands of someone that mattered to me, it's painful. And maybe you have lived this story with your family, with colleagues. Maybe you're living aspects of this story right now and you can't even imagine how in the world God could use this moment to bring blessing to you and bless the world through you? That's why I don't want you to miss the fact that God spoke into Joseph's life in this moment, right in the middle of the mess, with these two dreams. Now, dreams in this ancient culture were taken very seriously. And these two dreams that Joseph had weren't new dreams. In fact, they kind of hearken back to and are a version of the same dream or vision, the promise that God gave Abraham. And Joseph would have known that. I want you to hear these words that God spoke into Abraham, his great-grandfather's life. When God said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. Hear the connection there a little bit? You're going to bow down before me. Even the sun, moon, and stars will bow down. And it goes on, and you will be a blessing to others. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. His brothers certainly did. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Joseph would need the confidence of this promise to Abraham and of God's promise to him through these two dreams in order for him to be, to be able to endure what was coming next. Because it's about to get a whole lot worse. As I just read to you, we left Joseph at the hands of his brothers who are plotting to kill him. Oh, and they did plot to kill him. So much so that they dug a pit in the desert and threw him in hoping he would die or get sold as a slave in Egypt. Either way, you're dead. And that's what happens. Joseph gets sold off as a slave to Egypt. And it just gets worse from there. Because as he finds his way as a slave in Egypt, one day he's falsely accused, thrown into jail, and it gets worse and worse from there. Yet through it all, God is taking Joseph onward, using this time to build his character, build his muscle, build his faith in God, build a sense of dependence on God so that he can then take Joseph upward into that upward journey where he had prepared something for Joseph to do in God's big story to bless his life and bless the world 
through him. If you are a follower of Jesus and you know that you have been going onward with God in your life. I mean, you're here this morning in worship. Perhaps you spend time with God talking to him, which is prayer or reading scripture, letting him talk into your life, or you're orienting your whole life around what God has to say to you. And you know you're doing these things. You know you're going faithfully onward with God. I want you to understand that if you are feeling that you are in a life moment or a circumstance where it looks like nothing good can come from this, that it looked the same way for Joseph. Because at God's pace, as God is building these things in us, God also then, in the midst of what feels so crazy or so hard or so unimaginably hopeful, God wants to take us then upward into an understanding that everything in your life is significant and important to him and that God has a much bigger story for your life than you could have imagined. If you're Joseph, it's hard to imagine right about now. But finally, finally, at the very end, of Genesis, we have this moment that clears the cobwebs when we see Joseph moving from being a slave and becoming so highly respected that he's elevated to the second most highest position in all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, which makes Joseph perfectly positioned in this position of authority to rescue his brothers and the children of Israel from a severe famine back home. We need Joseph to go through everything he went through to get to this moment so that he can do his part in God's bigger story of the rescue of the children of Israel. Because this moment in Joseph's life is woven into God's bigger story of redemption that leads us all the way to Jesus through Joseph's bloodline so that the rescue happens for you and me as well. They got rescued and because of Joseph's faithfulness, we get rescued by Jesus. That's why this story isn't just about Joseph and his onward and upward journey into God's bigger plans for his life. This story is about us. It's about us taking our lead from Joseph and jumping into the story with him, into God's big picture, into God's purpose, so that we become a part of God's story of a rescue and a blessing to the world through the love of Jesus. I want you to hear what Joseph is able to say to his brothers just 13 years later when he's in a position to rescue them. It comes to us from Genesis 50. We'll bring it up right now. You intended to harm me, 
but God intended it all for good. And then it says, he brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Another translation of this says, what you intended for evil, God used it all for good. Can we say that with confidence? What if you woke up every morning 100% confident that God will and can use the good, the bad, and the ugly in your life to bless you and bless others through you? That everything that has brought you pain and hurt and harm in God's hands can bring blessing to you and to others through you. Because God is going to take us onward using it all, the good and the bad and the ugly, building our muscle, building our strength, building our faith, building our dependence and hope in him in greater ways so that he can then take us upward at God's pace into God's bigger plan for us to play a part in it. Joseph helps me. He helps me move from my typical stance when I'm going through something difficult and uncertain, moving me from this where I'm thinking, God, I just want to get through this. When is it going to be over? You're not moving fast enough. Are you doing anything? I don't see anything good coming from this, God. To this. God, I don't like it. I don't like it at all, but I don't want to miss this opportunity for you to use my circumstance and use me and use it all, the whole big mess, for your good purposes. He helps me make that move to go upward. God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. I know that you can bring that up. He is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. That is the onward and then the upward move that God is making in our lives. Some of you met my friend Yusef Kilal and his wife Misreen about a year and a half ago. Many of us went on a uh, Holy Land tour with Young Life, and we had this great experience where we met Yusef in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is where Yusef leads Young Life. Can you imagine? How cool is that? And while we entered Bethlehem, we went straight to the Young Life camp that Yusef was about to start with about 150 teenagers. And he gave us the privilege of helping greet all the students as they came in. It was so much fun. About a year and a half after that, Yusef and his wife Nisreen were able to come to the United States and some of you hosted them to a week of fishing and beach time, R&R, that they greatly deserved. Just a sweet couple with little kiddos, just like many of you. And he just seems like another great guy. Except I want you to understand how God took him onward and then upward. 
when he was a teenager living in uh, the northern part of the West Bank, and we know that there's a lot of trouble right now in that region, but as he was a teenager living in the northern part in a village in the West Bank, as a Christian family, which is about 1% to 2% in Palestine, one night he was out in his front yard and Yusef was abducted by some terrorists. And so he had no idea what was happening. It was completely unexpected. They blindfolded him. They put ropes on his hands. It was dark, so he couldn't really see who they were. He could hear their voices, and they're now traveling down some country road in a truck. He's not sure where he's going, but he's pretty sure he's going to die. They throw him out of the truck onto the ground, onto his knees. He's still blindfolded. His hands are behind his back, and he's praying to Jesus. The men are just talking excitedly around him. He's, he's, minutes seem to go, be going by, and he's just praying and praying and saying, Oh, God, have mercy on me. Save me, God. If you save me, I promise I will serve you for the rest of my life. Oh, God, will you save me for your good purposes? Then he hears one of the guns cock, and he knows, Okay, well, this is it. He's just trembling. But then a phone rings. This man answers the phone and in Arabic, talking very excitedly, very quickly. And the next thing that Yusef hears is, we've got to get him out of here. We've got to get him home. He's like, what? And so they throw him back in the truck, go all through those country roads again, throw him out of the truck on the ground where he sustained some injuries, and they drive off. It wasn't until a couple years later that their family figured out who had done this. But Yusef stayed in his commitment to God, having said to God, I want to serve you. I will do whatever you ask of me. And he had this sense that it had to do with teenagers. So he started teaching them. Then he moved to coaching them. And then he encountered some young life people and realized this is it. This is what I want to do. This is how I know I can serve the Lord. And as he was preparing for one of his first camps, he looked over the roster of teenagers coming, and his eyes zeroed in on one name, the son of one of his abductors. So Yusef started praying over that name. And when that kid came to camp, he just asked for God's help to love that kid and walk with that kid and pour into that kid with the love, the extraordinary love of Jesus. And in that weekend, that kid became a follower of Jesus, which triggered in Yusef a desire to truly forgive this kid's family and figure out how he could start praying for that kid's father and family who had harmed him for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of Jesus Christ. God's power changed the trajectory of Yusef's story. God's power changed the trajectory of Joseph's story. Both men could have stayed in the bitterness 
and the resentment of their circumstances, but instead they open themselves up to say, okay, God, use it all as a tool in your hands to rescue. And in this case, to rescue the children of Israel from famine or to rescue the son of the man that abducted him into the hands of Jesus. God used the worst moments of Joseph's life for God's good purposes. And God used the worst moments of Yusuf's life for God's good purposes. What if God were to use some of the worst moments of your life for his good purposes? And if we go onward and upward with God, he will. Because God is not only present in those moments, he is powerful in those moments as God takes us onward through hard stuff, building our faith, building our strength, building our courage, so that he can weave into our life and weave us into God's bigger story, his purposes to ultimately bless us and bless the world. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, it's practically unimaginable for us to consider that the worst moments and the worst circumstances of our life are the very building blocks where you take us onward and you build new things in us, new strength, new faith, new dependence on you, but that also those moments trigger a path for you to take us upward into your bigger story, a story that rescues people. Lord, we want to be a part of it. Help us to make that move from clenched fists, head down, just bearing through something, to opening up our hands and opening up our hearts and our souls to be able to say to you, use it all. Use it all. Use this circumstance. Use it all, God. I don't like it, but use it for your good purposes, for the bigger picture of your intentions to bless us and bless the world through us. It doesn't matter that it doesn't make sense to us. What matters is that you are powerful enough to do that. So elevate our hearts now from being so overly focused in a moment where we think nothing good can happen to understanding that in your hands something great can happen in your bigger story to bless the world. Thank you for Yousef. Thank you for Joseph. And thank you for all of my brave friends in this room for whom I have been inspired by as I've watched them go onward and upward with you. Amen. And now I invite you to sing and enjoy this outro, and then you'll be able to leave into this day, I pray, ready to say, God, have it all, use it all.
Sweet.